One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, like most men do. (laughs) I added that in the text. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? (laughs) He asked. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, Your kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Very wise words. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Brother knew what he was doing. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Thank you all. uh, That was good. uh, What a great story. Well, immigration, it's a bit of a topic today, is it not? So I think it's fair to ask, what does the Bible say? And I'm going to uh, just draw some huge conclusions or, or big, broad brush conclusions, and then we'll see how those come out of the story. But um, I think it's really clear for anyone who reads the Bible and takes it seriously that God is pro-immigrant. I don't know how you can argue differently. Jesus himself was an immigrant. Uh, Ruth is an immigrant. And some of the great heroes of the Bible are immigrants. And there's really nothing negative to say about immigrants in the Bible. God cares for the immigrant. That, that statement is right there. On the other hand, or at least in terms of our modern um, uh, issue thing, uh, the Bible is also pro-respect for law. And it just seems like we're at a place right now where you're either on one side or the other, and we, it almost seems impossible to bring those two truths together. 
and that that's what it would mean to be biblical, that you have compassion for the immigrant and you have a respect for the law and you design policies therein. Why is that so hard? It, I don't know, but that's, what is, that's where we find ourselves in our story. And as you look at this story of Ruth and Boaz, you'll find both of those things in the story on an individual level. A compassion, the word hesed is the Hebrew word that we'll come back to again today. Uh, And also you'll find this respect for the law that's right there in the story that was just read for you or acted out for you or however you want to say it. So we're going to look at that and uh, we're going to see the character in these two characters, Ruth and Boaz, that we would desire for ourselves or for those that we love, just to to somehow absorb the kind of character that these two heroes have. And we remember that they are uh, great, 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 on down the list, 1,100 years before Jesus, grandparents of the person of Jesus Christ. And you'll see Jesus in them if you look carefully. And we want to see uh, that connection as well. So here's kind of our, um, this is our three-part. I I always try to find three parts. I'll do it somehow. You know, I've got three kids. It just makes life easier. Um, Naomi schemes for Ruth. Uh, Ruth risks for Naomi. And then Boaz responds to them both. I want to go back to where we were when we started a couple of weeks ago. There's four chapters in Ruth. And so in chapter 1, a little review. I'll touch on chapter 2 just for a second. But we, we start out in 1100 BC in the town of Bethlehem with a famine, which is an irony because Bethlehem literally means house of bread. And this family of four, a dad, a mom, and two boys, they go off to Moab, which is a couple of days to the east, to find food. And then... Uh, Ten years later go by, and what happens in those ten years? Well, the dad dies, and the two brothers marry local girls, and the, both of those boys die. So what you've got are three widows, and then uh, one of them goes back home, and now Ruth and Naomi are on their way back to Bethlehem where there is now food. So there's the, that's the, the big uh, picture. And then in Bethlehem, uh, Naomi is... She makes a statement that she is empty. She left full, but now she is empty. Why is she empty? This is the great tragedy of the story that drives it, is that she has no heir. No, her, when she dies, her family ends. And that could, that, you may feel that as a tragedy today, but just to amplify that in that culture, if you had no heir to take the family on and, and of course we know that she must have there must be something here because she she does have heirs all the way down to where Je- you know Jesus is in that line so uh, but that's the tragedy that is driving that story the story forward and then Ruth uh, takes the initiative when they're in Bethlehem and she goes out to a field and this phrase from last week chapter 2 as it turns out And we played with that, and we think about our own lives, as it turns out. And she finds the field of this man, Boaz, who she has no idea who he is. And then they have this dialogue, and I'm going to use this one prayer of Boaz after they talk for a while. Boaz says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. That would be in showing hesed or loving kindness that clings to Naomi, her mother-in-law. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the Lord of Israel, under whose wings, and that's the Hebrew word there is kanaf, you have come to take refuge. And we're going to come back to that verse in a bit here because it really plays into the story as it unfolds for us today. 
All right, so we're in chapter 3, and uh, it begins out with, with Naomi scheming for Ruth. She wants to find Ruth a husband because she sees how much Ruth has done for her. And so if you want to find somebody a husband, you turn into, in that world, you turn into a yenta. That's, you know what that is, right? Have, you, have any of you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Yes. Okay. Matchmaker, match. How does it go? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find. Catch me a catch. Yeah, there's a few of you who get it, right? Ayanta, and she's, so she's scheming. She's trying to come up with a plan. And here's her plan. She knows Boaz. Somehow she knows that he's going to be on the threshing floor after the big harvest celebration uh, that is taking place and that, where they eat and drink, and he'll, he'll be in, in a good mood that night. Uh, all is well in his world. This would be a great time for you to get prettied up, get on your best dress, put on some perfume, take a bath, get sexy. That's pretty much what she's saying. And uh, go down there, and here's what you do. You lie down by his feet. This is, I don't think I would recommend this strategy to young women, but lie down by his feet and uncover his feet. This is where the original expression, cold feet, comes from. <laughs> yeah. Once again, puns are the lowest form of humor. Okay. Uh, but that's the plan. And so she's got this, and, and Ruth responds, um, just like Mary does in the Christmas story, I will do everything you say. Beautiful just response. Well, oh, I left one part out. Naomi had also said to Ruth, do all that stuff and then just wait, and he will tell you what to do. As if, okay, well, we'll get there. All right. So then we go to, um, so Ruth is, is going to risk for Naomi. Ruth does exactly what her mother-in-law says. And she goes down there, and there he is sleeping. And she lies down at his feet, uncovers his feet. And then in the middle of the night, he senses something. Think about in your life where you sense a presence of somebody there, and you're sleeping, and you're not quite... And, and so he wakes up, or he's stirred, and he said, Who are you? And she says... I am your servant, Ruth. So remember, Ruth is a humble, bold person. Is this, does this qualify as bold, by the way? This is bold. It's, gonna, and it's even going to get more bold as I explain it to you. Uh, but I'm, she's also humble. She's, she's a servant. And then she says this, this line that I don't know if it's ever been used in a, uh, this situation before, but spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And I want to give you a little bit of word study stuff that'll just help us a little here. Okay, keywords. The first one is hesed, which is that word that hangs over the whole story. It's the loving kindness that clings that Ruth has for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Second word, we're gonna, and by the way, we're going to come to that word here in just uh, uh, in the next few verses. Goel, Goel is the Hebrew word for guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer. It gets translated differently, but it's a relative who pays to set you free. And the, the, he qualifies. He is a relative, and uh, we'll see how this works here in a sec. And the third thing is this word that we mentioned from chapter 2, kanaf. Wings or covering, the secret place where you are safe and can relax. 
don't you want to be under those wings? I mean, there's, there's a, something in the heart there that I think we would desire. And um, she, let's just remember back that in the prayer I showed you earlier from chapter 2, Boaz prayed that for her, that God would, that you would be under, the, under, the, under his wings, the powerful wings of God. You would find yourself in that safe, secure place where you can relax and be yourself and know that you're cared for. I mean, it's just a warm place. So what Ruth is saying, now here's the, here's the part. Ruth is saying, Boaz, I mean, she's not, she's saying this without using these words, but she's saying, Boaz, you prayed a prayer for me that I would be under God's wings. You can fulfill that prayer now as she, by covering me, it's the same word, by kanaf. And basically she's saying, marry me. That's it. Now she said, I mean, that's what comes through. That's what he would have understood in all this. Now, the, the strange part here that I, I want to pause over a little bit is what did Naomi tell her? When she gets there, you uncover the feet, you lie down, and what? He will tell you what to do. Well, he's a little groggy, and guys are a little slow on the uptake sometimes. And she's not going to wait around for him to say, will you marry me? She just blurts it out. Why does she do that? Why does she take the offensive, going way beyond where Naomi said? Naomi didn't ever say that. She didn't tell her to say that. She said, wait till he says something, and it'll all come together. Well, it's not coming together fast enough for Ruth. Why? Well, uh, Naomi's motivation for Ruth was that she would find a husband. Ruth's motivation for marriage is so that she can provide, what's driving the story? What did I tell you earlier? An heir. She wants an heir for Naomi, and that's, I mean, it's like, she wants it worse than Naomi wants a husband for her. This is like, I I, I know what I want, and I'm going to go for it. Is she bold? She's a bold woman. Is she humble? She's a humble woman, and you put those two things together, and it's an amazing thing, because you can tell he's attracted to her character in this story. Well, uh, these two women, Ruth and Naomi, are looking out for each other, but what will Boaz do? Will he have his own concerns, or will he get involved in this sort of hesed stuff that is going on between these two women? So there we go. Third, how will he respond? Uh, Ruth is super vulnerable. This is, the, this is the hinge of the story between verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. Ruth has just put it out there, very risky, and uh, whatever comes out of Boaz's mouth next will determine her life. And you could say it will determine the history of the world if you track it down through to Jesus Christ. Will these two people, in fact, be descendant or uh, the ancestors of Jesus Christ? Will he descend from them? So in a sense, it, the whole history uh, of the world depends on what, what he says next. And, and he, he, she's vulnerable. I mean, she could, I mean, men, just think what men could do right now, okay? Do I need to talk about stuff like that? But, I mean, she's, it's dark. Who would, who would know? She looks, you know, whatever. And um, it, so he could, and, and he could say something to her that would just break her heart. He holds her heart in her life in his hand. Power. He's, the, he's got the power. Uh, I watched 
and I, I was tempted to uh, show one of these little YouTube clips, but it would make you cringe if I did. But there are, if you want to look it up, just look at marriage proposals gone bad. <laughs> yeah, and I just look at a few of them. And how would you like to be said no to in front of 10,000 people? That's just one of them. These big public marriage proposals, you know, at football games, and, and there's been some big no's out there. And um, so it's, it, I, I just don't think it would be good for you. Uh, maybe, though, if you like that. So I had, in my previous place of, of being a pastor, I had a guy in the Air Force. He was a, a pilot. And he had a girlfriend, uh, Jenny, and he came to me one day and he says, I would really like to propose to her in church, in a church service. Okay, well, I know. How sure are you? <laughs> That's like, I can remember saying those words. Like, anything south of 99.9%, I ain't, we're not going to go there. And he's, oh yeah, he, he assured me. Uh, he, was, he was pretty sure, right? Well, as it turned out, if I can use that phrase, as it turned out, everything worked out fine. But just to let you know, I was a little nervous on the inside. So as we see what happens here, as the drama, uh, the tension point in the story raises to its highest pitch, the first words out of Boaz's mouth are, my daughter, may the Lord bless you. And that just, those words right there just bring it down, the tension down. And you're thinking, well, we're looking a little okay at least. And then he says uh, that the Hesed you have shown now, meaning what she's, he, he sees what she's trying to do. What, what he can see that, that she is trying to secure an heir for Naomi. He can see that. He's not, he's, he's, his eyes are open. The hesed that you are showing now is even greater than the hesed you showed before, which is when she went out into the fields to gather grain to, to help support Naomi. And so he's giving her a compliment. We're trending upward, folks. Things are looking better. And then he says that he's impressed that she chose to ask him instead of a younger man that she might have been more in love with or, uh, or somebody else for money or whatever other motivations. He is truly impressed with her. And then he says, it's a done deal. It basically, he says, you're going to get what you want. Now, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? And uh, he uh, says that, in, he, you have, just imagine what Ruth has done as an immigrant. She has, in a short time, we don't know how long a time it is, but not too long a time, she has been, her reputation has risen up in that village in Bethlehem so that it, everyone knows that she is a, a noble woman of great character. Everybody knows that about her. You don't think there aren't other guys that would like to marry her? Probably are. Oh, so everything is looking really good. But there's just a little problem, right? There's this other guy who has a greater, uh, closer, uh, according to the law. This is where the law comes in. The law says that whoever is the closest person in terms of relative to you has first shot at 
these respons- it's a great privilege, but it's also a great responsibility. We'll talk about this next week. But when you take on, uh, and, and uh, when, you, when you marry someone, there's a lot of obligations. Well, you know that. There's a lot of obligations that go with it. And not everybody's just going to jump for it. And uh, so we have to check in with this other guy. So what you see here in Boaz is a, a man of character who wants to marry this girl who has proposed to him. He wants it, but he's not just going to do it without obeying the law that God has put in place. I, I've told uh, young men this, and my own sons this, that be the kind of man who a woman of great character would want to marry. Be the kind of man that a woman of great character would be attracted to because of your character. What a recipe for a great marriage. Well, you see it here that he loves to look into Ruth's heart and he sees a noble woman with great character. And what's he going to do? He's going to respond to that by being a noble man with great character. And trusting God for the outcome. If this other guy wants you, I'm going to have to step back. I'm putting my own desires next to or behind what God has in mind for us both. What a beautiful story. And then he gives her 50 pounds of uh, barley. How, did, how she carried that home, I do not know. <laughs> Probably spilled quite a bit on the way. And uh, she, that's a sign of the abundance. It's a sign of his promise that the future is going to be good for you. You are going to come under the wings, under the covering. It'll either be me or it'll be this guy over here. Worry no more. Now, this is just my little thing I'll throw in there because I know some of you are hopeless romantics. And I will agree with you that on the way home, Ruth is praying, not the other guy, Lord, not the other guy, right? She She really does like Boaz. And she could see a life with him. So she gets home to Naomi and uh, we'll pick up the story next week. By the way, don't read ahead. Uh, That will not please God if you read ahead in the Bible. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. Okay, I want to just share a little story and then um, uh, draw this to a conclusion as we look at who Jesus is. But uh, there was a guy named Troy that I, I just had, I've had such a great experience in my life with military people, and some of them, they were just like everybody else, right? I mean, some of you were in the military, and you know this, that there are the whole spectrum of people, but I'll tell you what, some of the highest quality people I've ever met were uh, in, the, in the service, and uh, a guy named Troy, he was in the Coast Guard, and he, had a, he was an officer, and he wanted to talk to me someday, one day, and I, and I said, okay, let's get together. And I, usually people won't have a problem they want to talk about. He didn't have a problem. He just said, I want you to know what's on my heart and what has shaped me and what continues to shape me. There are two men in the Bible that my heart is drawn to. And we just talked for quite a while about this. And he said, the first one is Joseph, the Joseph in the Christmas story, which of the, of the Josephs in the Bible, he doesn't get as much, you know, press. And, um, but he said, I am so impressed with Joseph's heart. Do you remember the story how he and Mary were engaged? And, and then, you know, we don't know exactly how it unfolded, but one day Mary had to come to him and, and tell him that she was pregnant. And by the Holy Spirit, oh, okay. <laughs> and so he decides in his heart 
You know, the, the law, and this, this might tie into the immigration debate just a little bit, the law would say from Leviticus that Mary should be stoned. Stoned. Killed. And, you know, there's places in the world today where this kind of stuff happens to women. And um, Joseph is not going to do that. Remember, compassion, respect for law. You've got to, got to hold them together. And he makes up his mind, Matthew tells us in the first chapter, he makes up his mind to um, end their engagement quietly so as not to embarrass her or shame her. She's going to have enough issues the rest of her life without him adding to them. That's kind of the idea there. He's a righteous man. Respect for the law, but he also has compassion. Can we buy that as a definition of righteousness? That maybe we need some righteousness in our country? <laughs> we need some righteous people? Not, I know that sounds crazy, like, vote for me, I'm a righteous person. But, it wouldn't work. But, but somehow this idea of tying together compassion and respect for law. Okay, so then, though, what happens next is that he has this dream, and an angel comes in the dream and says, Joseph, I want you to marry Mary. I want you to marry this woman. Now, this is what I, this is my take on it. So don't, it doesn't say, the text doesn't say this, but I think what the angel was saying or what God was saying to Joseph was, she needs a man like you to get through what she's going to go through. She had a lot to go through. And Joseph does what the angel says. What a righteous man. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful heart. Don't you want that heart? You know, for you and for your children, grandchildren, whatever. So Troy and I talked about that, and he said, that's the heart I want. As a dad, as a leader, that's what I want. And then he said, Boaz. That was his second name. I want to be like Boaz. And for many of the same reasons, he found a lot of parallels between these two men in the Bible. That Boaz would have wanted to marry Ruth, but he put that on pause. He put his own desires aside so that God could speak into and determine what was the best. That's called nobility or being noble. And Troy just said, I want that in my heart. And we talked for a while and I said, well, uh, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm inspired. Well, but let me just try another one out. Let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes. Because he had this um, amazing ability. Not, you know, both of those characters are listed in his genealogy, so we wouldn't be surprised there. But just think of who Jesus is and how, he, how compassionate he was, and yet he fulfilled the law. He didn't just have respect for the law. He fulfilled the law, and he held those together. And then when he goes to the cross, how the cross is such a, it's, in a sense, it's a legal place. It's where business is done this transaction happens where everything is reconciled and made right. And it's, it's the place where the compassion of God is expressed and it's the place where the, the, um, the purity of God is expressed. That somehow this event, this horrible, beautiful event has to happen to make everything right. And that Jesus is our guardian redeemer. He is, the one, he is the one who pays the price to get us out of prison, to get us free. What a beautiful heart Jesus has. 
the compassion of God, the respect for the law come together in Jesus Christ. And it's under his wings that we find our refuge, our place of safety, and our place to relax. Let's pray. How's that? Let's pray. Lord, as we just image ourselves under your wings, under the covering of your wings, under that Hebrew word kanaf, as we see ourselves there in safety, under the powerful wings, the powerful covering of God, uh, that place, Lord. I think every heart here in this room would want to be there to set aside our anxieties, our performance anxieties, our whatever anxieties we might have and to take refuge, Lord, in you. I pray for that place. And if you desire to have that place define your life, you can pray that prayer right now. Oh, Lord, I want to come under your wings. I want to receive from you all that you have for me. I want to receive all the life you have for me. Whether you've prayed that prayer a hundred times or this is the first time you've ever prayed it, God hears it and he will restore you. He will renew you. Come under the wings of the Almighty, the God of compassion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.